Good morning, everybody, and happy Friday. It is October the 6th, another beautiful day in Philadelphia, finally starting to feel a bit like fall. The Phillies play the Braves tomorrow night in Game 1 of the National League Division Series. And we have got, as of yesterday afternoon, an October roster for the U.S. men's national team. To dive into that roster, which will gather in Nashville, where their camp will be held, but are playing Germany first in Connecticut before they return to Nashville to play Ghana. I've got Kyle Bond of Sporting News to dig into this. Kyle, how are you? Doing all right. Thanks. Uh, I'm I'm checked out of baseball uh, at this point. I'm a I'm a born Yankees fan, so uh, baseball was dead to me about two months ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Come over to the dark side. Cheer for yeah. the Phillies. We'll see. We'll see. I have, I struggle. I, I'm also a, a Giants fan. I'm from Connecticut, outside New York, uh, and so I struggle with okay. Philadelphia sports. But uh, but maybe maybe I can be convinced. Well, I did not even realize I had a Connecticut native here to talk to us about this Connecticut camp. Are you excited for this Hartford destination? I am. Yeah, I'll be there, um, which is nice because I'll get to stay with my family up there. I'm in North Carolina now, but uh, I uh, <laughs> Rensselaer Field is fine. I mean, it's fine as a venue. I've seen the police play there, actually, which was fun. But uh, yeah. it's a it's you know, Hartford is Hartford. It's not it's not remarkable in any way. What kind of foliage do you think we can look for, look out for? Uh, lots, lots of colors. I think that's, uh, that's always the, that's always the, the thing I get when I tell people I'm from Connecticut. The first line is always, oh, I love the trees up there in the fall. Yeah. Yeah. You get used to it after 18 years. <laughs> yeah. Well, North Carolina, I don't know what part of North Carolina you're in, but I've got some friends in Asheville and I actually went to visit them recently for leaf season. I came to learn it was, it was called people kind of shuttling through Smoky Mountains National Park and its nearby vicinities to see the leaves. So you've got foliage down there as well. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. The, I'm in Winston-Salem, so I'm about, a, about an hour north of Charlotte. Asheville's okay. wonderful, a, excellent spot. Uh, a lot of craft breweries in, there and in the area in general. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's nice down here. It's, this is the perfect time to be in North Carolina right now because during the summer, it's just ungodly humid um and then you know the winter it like doesn't really even get winter you get like half winter which is like the nasty slush every once in a while and you get two inches of snow and everything shuts down yeah miserable it's the worst type of snow i have to since we're on the subject of north carolina the other day you posted a photo I believe of a naked lady climbing an electrical wire near your house. Can you provide us an update on who I believe, if I remember correctly, you posted saying that North Carolina is so out of pocket. Can you give us an update on this lady? What was she doing? And is she okay? Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I don't know. I never actually (laughs) got like a resolution to the story. Um, But yeah, it was wild. So my power went out randomly in the middle of the day. And it's been gorgeous here for the last like two weeks. So it was very odd. And you know, sometimes you'll get that like the power will flick off for like five seconds. Okay, whatever. Um, This was off for like five minutes, which is like long enough when it's gorgeous out for you to be like, "Mm, what's going on? So uh, power came back on. I went to the grocery store and I got one because I have a ring camera. So I got a ring alert. Somebody had posted on ring that was like, yep, here's why the power's out. Uh, Apparently someone had climbed a it's I don't want to even call it a telephone pole because that doesn't do it justice. It's like one of those massive metal telephone or, or like electrical towers. Uh, climbed all the way to the top so they had to cut the lines in order to do a rescue and i was at the grocery store like an hour after my power went out and 
this person was still up there when I went yes. to the grocery stores right across the street. And so, yeah, snapped a photograph. Uh, and that was quite the scene. Uh, <laughs> I do not have a, uh, I wish I had an update for you, but I should find out what happened. I'll have, to, I'll have to investigate that later. So a Giants fan, a Yankees fan, a Connecticut native, how did you end up watching and writing about soccer and the U.S. men's national team? It's a great question. Um, I actually didn't really get into soccer or football uh, until I was in college. My roommates were all Premier League fans. Uh, two of them were Arsenal fans, and they said, hey, we need to get you a team. And so um, I sort of jumped in with Fulham. Um, and started, uh, I kind of jumped head first in, I, I needed kind of something to keep me occupied on the side. I wanted to start writing. I was in broadcast school. And so I sort of just started a Fulham blog and then NBC got the premier league rights about a year or two later. And I sort of just reached out and I said, Hey, do you guys need writers with the TV rights coming through? And they said, yeah. So, uh, I started writing part-time for NBC, did that for like a good seven years until COVID, um, happened and things shut down and everybody sort of contracted employment. And uh, I was done with NBC at the time, was out of working for sports, working in sports altogether uh, for about a year or two and then jumped on with Sporting News. So it's been uh, it's been awesome to finally do this full time and put things together. So it's been great. I'm, I love it. I've fallen in love with the sport. Better late than never, right? Yeah, for sure. Everyone's got an interesting story to how they got hooked on it. Nothing else like it, I think. I love writing about it. And yeah, Kyle's work is some of my favorite out there covering covering the national team. Before we dig into this roster, which dropped yesterday, we've got a 23-player roster. Um, given your time writing about the team and watching Fulham, which is a great team to be supporting if you're thinking about U.S. men's national team players and way, where they're plying their trade abroad, when you look at this roster that just dropped, do you think this is the most talented roster that we've ever had? Or how does this compare to what we've had before? Yeah, it's a good um, it's a good shout. I, I would say it's close. You know, it's missing Tyler Adams. Um, and and I think his inclusion would be, you know, would make it really round, round out that that idea that it is the most talented U.S. roster. But it's. It's up there. Um, you know, you're missing Anthony Robinson as well. Um, and, I, and you know, we'll talk about Anthony in a bit. But I, I, it's, it's close. Yeah. I, I think, you know, the midfield especially is as deep as the U.S. has ever had. Um, even the fringe players are elevated in talent. You look at a guy like Johnny Cardoso playing for Internacional in the semifinals of the Copa Libertadores in a regular starting role. And he is on the fringe of the U S national team midfield, just because of how deep it is. It's, it's really, really impressive. Fullback depth has always been an issue for this team. It's still not great, but it's better than it's been in a long time. The striker position better than it's been in a while. You've got questions at the, winger position good questions i mean it's just it's wild yeah it's an exciting time to be watching all of these players i think like you said the depth is certainly broader than than we've seen before i think something interesting about this roster as well or that is increasingly unique compared to previous cycles or iterations is we've only got two mls guys on this roster what do you think about that 
I think that's really how it should be, to be honest with you. You know, I'm not one of these people who says, oh, you know, fewer MLS players, the better. But I do think there is something to be said for the better players go play in Europe. Mm -hmm. Um, And at some point, and I think MLS has sort of embraced that a little bit. They've said, hey, we want to sell players abroad. We want to be a stepping stone um, because I think it elevates the talent and the youth talent in the league. Um, you will never eradicate MLS from the U S national team. The two are intrinsically linked. They should be, uh, and you will have players that come from major league soccer playing for the national team. It's just, it's just good for the national team to have players in the domestic league who are at the national team level. That's just, that's true in any country. I mean, any, you look at the top European Uh, national teams they've got tons of players from domestic leagues you look at the lower ranked european teams that you look at the top ranked african teams i mean all over the world players hail from their domestic leagues and that's the way it should be but there also needs to be an understanding that if you draw too much from the domestic league you are ignoring a lot of great talent and so i think it's it's about right where it should be. Nice. I, yeah, I would agree with that. That's a good way to phrase it. For clarity, for the listener, those two players are Dewan Jones and Miles Robinson. So exciting, deserved on, on both fronts. Happy to have them both in camp, I think. One other thing that I think about, especially, and you know, it's early days in this European season. Most of these guys are, what, six, seven weeks into the season. So far, they're playing in seven or more different leagues of the 23 players in this roster. But not everyone is having the most incredible season abroad. Some of them have struggled. I think Brendan Aronson in particular, maybe even unjustly at this point, because everyone's harping on it. So I hate to even almost bring it up. But he's not had an incredible first six games or whatever it might have been for Union Berlin. You know, he moved abroad from the Philadelphia Union where he came through that academy. He went to Salzburg. He was killing it at that level. Then he moved to Leeds. Really difficult time. In Leeds, technically, he's still a Leeds player. He's on loan at Union Berlin. But a difficult few years moving to the Premier League, getting completely roasted day in and day out by that fan base. They get relegated. Now he's in Berlin. Certainly, he can get it back. But when you think of players like Brendan, or maybe there's some other examples, even though we want our players to go to Europe, are we pushing it too much? Are players doing it too early? It's a fair question. Um, I don't think so. I think each player's situation is different. I would say for Brendan, his mistake, to be honest with you, and I feel I feel like I'm a little retconning things because I didn't voice this opinion when it happened, but I do think it's fair that I think Union Berlin was a poor fit for him. Mm-hmm. I really do think Leeds was a great, great spot for Brendan, and I know – that swallowing a year or more in the championship is tough, but that the way that team played just fit his style so well. And now at union Berlin, I just don't think that style of play there fits Brendan. He is a unique player. There are a few players on this U S national team that are unique. I mean, I, the, the cream of the crop in that regard is Weston McKinney. And those guys just need the right spot to flourish. I think Christian Pulisic is a li- has a little bit of that to his game. You know, you need the right place to really get the best out of him. But I think Brendan Aronson is is near the top in that regard. That 
it, the defensive style of Union Berlin doesn't really fit his game. Leeds was so good because a big part of Brendan's game was his pressing. The stats backed it up during his time in the Premier League. He was one of the best pressers in the league. And when he really got stuck in in that Leeds team, he started to contribute. His game has not been goals and assists. It's part of it. But you can't judge Brendan Aronson's game on purely goals and assists. I think the Leeds fan base leaned on that a little bit too much. But he was such a good fit in that pressing style. He comes from that Red Bull system. I just don't think it really was the right place for him at, at, at Union Berlin, which is a bummer because there's a lot of teams in Germany that would fit his style well. So hopefully he's able to get consistent minutes. That's the other thing. Brendan, I mean, every player is like this, but Brendan in particular needs consistent minutes. If he doesn't get consistent minutes, he struggles. And so I think we've seen that with the national team. When he comes off the bench, he's okay. But when he gets a regular starting role, he's at his best. So hopefully he can find that consistent run in the in the team. But it's been tough. Yeah, the confidence that comes with having the confidence of your coach at the club level really pays dividends with the national team. It's worth noting as well, everything you just said about how he fit in with the way Leeds played is true. It's worth saying that in the first half of that season, when he definitely had a starting role, Jesse Marsh was managing him. He was setting up a lot of opportunities. He was creating chances. So he could have had assists, had, you know, certain. <laughs> they were one of the worst finishing teams in the league last year. I mean, expected goals wise, they could not. It was Patrick Bamford was like one of the worst finishers in the last five years of the Premier League. Remarkable, remarkable stuff. So do you think that, you know, he had when Leeds was relegated, it turned out that he and Tyler Adams both had relegation clauses in their contracts and they both left on Brendan Aronson's part. Was that a mistake? Do you think that his career would be better served if he was in the championship and related to that? Do you think that he in any part did not consider that given the vitriol of the fan base? I think so. I think it, it was a mistake to leave. I think that you look at a guy like Josh Sargent, who really struggled in his first year in the Premier League, dropped down, stayed with Norwich, and has done really well. Um, he's not scoring loads of goals with Norwich, but he's a regular starter in that team. And when he's healthy, he's a factor in the U.S. roster. It doesn't hinder your chances of making the U.S. national team by playing in the championship. I think the way that the U.S. roster is constructed right now, Greg Berhalter or whoever is the head coach, they understand that the championship matters. The championship has good players and they value regular minutes in the championship. So I, I think it was a mistake for Brendan Aronson to leave because of how well he fit in that Leeds team. And it would not have hindered his chances of being in the national team had he dropped down to the championship. I, I can't speak to whether, you know, the fan base factored into his decision, but I wouldn't be surprised if it did. That, I think that Leeds, the year that the USMNT fan base spent observing Leeds and then eventually, um, you know, aided by the internet, aided by social media and aided by Leeds fighting relegation and then being relegated. Obviously, there was a lot of internet wars between the Leeds fan base and the USMNT fan base. We had, by the end of that season, after Jesse Marsh was fired, we had 
three USMNT guys on that relegated lead squad, including Tyler Adams, our captain, Weston McKenney, and Brendan Aronson. Weston was on loan from Juventus. I think Jesse Marsh was in charge was part of what brought him over. He was in charge for about one game, I believe, before <laughs> being fired. Yeah. Um, so, but also he didn't have a good, he wasn't being used correctly, et cetera, et cetera, but it wasn't a good loan spell from any way you look at it. Following that experience, and you asked, and I'm, I want to come on to this next because you asked Greg something related to this in yesterday's press conference. But what's your, with those three USMNT guys on one team and becoming so much of the focus and causing a lot of internet arguments, what's your take on multiple USMNT guys on one team? Yeah, I think Greg Berhalter put it perfectly. Um, I, I was happy how forthcoming he was when I asked that, that it's great. It's great for the team. He, you know, Greg can speak to what it's like in training because we as fans and media don't really get to see that. Um, but he said you could see it in training that the guys just have chemistry together. Um, and that's really where it comes together because on, you know, during matches, guys have different situations, even when they're on the same team. You know, you look at a guy like Yunus Musa, who's not getting consistent minutes with AC Milan. He's been playing more, which is good. But, um, you know, or PSV, you see Ricardo Pepe not getting consistent minutes. Sergino Des starting every game, which is awesome for him, by the way. What, uh, you know. Thank what God. a turnaround for Sergio Dest. It's great to see him playing consistently. But that's not where that chemistry comes from. It's from training, right? They always train together, whether they're getting consistent minutes or not, whether they have a starting role or not. They're in training every day together. They play together. They build that chemistry. And that's it can only be a positive for the U.S. I think it's I think it's really great. And 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 it's not happening in MLS. It's happening at big European clubs. And that's awesome. Yeah, I I agree with with that take for for the listeners. So those in the in the press release email as the roster came out, the U.S. Soccer Federation had a whole section on this, which they entitled the buddy system, which is very precious. So the the players in that pool include at PSV, we've got Sergio Dest, Ricardo Pepe and Malik Tillman uh, at AC Milan, Yunus Musa and Christian Pulisic are paired up at Juventus. We've got Weston McKenney and Tim Weah. At Nottingham Forest, um, we've got Ethan Horvath and Matt Turner, which is an interesting situation. We'll touch on that in a second. Are they forgetting Fulham in this, though? No, because um, Anthony is not on the roster. Um, so he and Reem aren't playing together technically this window. Got it. Okay. And I'm just going to read, and this is straight out of my um, Otter app. So the quote might not be... Perfect, but this is what Burhalter said to you yesterday when you asked about players playing abroad. He said, quote, you can see that those guys start to form relationships, starting to form bonds that are coming closer when they're together every day. I definitely think it has impact on the field. You can see Malik, Serge, and Ricardo have good chemistry. You know, to me, uh, in oh, you know, Timmy and Wes training are phenomenal together. You can see how they work together every day in training. It's a luxury piece with Ethan and Matt. You can see how supportive they are towards each other, which is great. And then finally with Eunice, Christian, the battles they go through every week in Syria. And then, you know, fighting to get on the field to get a starting position. That's for Eunice and Christian being a high performer. Um, so that's really good. So exciting stuff there. All right. So let's touch on the on the players in camp. I think 
to some extent, I feel like a large portion of the roster at this point starts to select itself. So there's not too many surprises and really just a matter of who's injured and then bringing in a rotating cast of trial pieces, shall we say, trying to find depth at certain positions, like the fullback position, um, for example. In the goalkeeper slot, we've only got two in camp. Teammates, Matt Turner and Ethan Horvath, who are both at Nottingham Forest. How do you think Matt Turner has been doing as the starting keeper for now with competition behind him, though, at, at Nottingham Forest in the Premier League? Yeah, I think he's been doing well. He's, you know, with with all due respect to Matt, and I don't think he would be upset by this. I don't he's not an, the starting goalkeeper for Arsenal. Right. Like, I think we all kind of knew that. And credit to him for seeing maybe not seeing that because he's a competitive guy and I don't think he would agree. But I think credit to him for seeing that, hey, there's no pathway for me here. I've got to find a situation and do it quickly. And he sorted it out. Um, he found a club where he can start consistently. Is there the threat of relegation at Nottingham Forest? Sure. Uh, but he is, uh, I think, a big reason why they can stay up. And he's getting stuck in there. Um, he, will, will he make the occasional mistake? Yes. Um, he's still growing as a goalkeeper. And I think he's probably relatively close to his ceiling. Um, but he's getting consistent minutes at the, you know, the best league in the world. And, and he's playing pretty well. And, and I think he should get credit for that. Um, it's tough to have Ethan Horvath still there. Uh, that is just such a bummer of a situation. It's the same with Zach Steffen. You know, they both got injuries at the wrong time. And with Ethan, he seemed to be fit by the time the deadline came around and they just couldn't find a spot for him, which is tough. I, I hope that in January they can find a loan for Ethan because otherwise he's just not, he's just rotting at, in the, at the bench there. But for Matt, it's awesome. And he's playing pretty well and he's making good saves. He's good with his feet. He's made the occasional error, but that happens. And, and overall he's doing, he's doing very well. And it's great for the U S national team. You mentioned two goalkeepers on the roster. That was surprising. Here's my take on that. I think it's a message from Greg Berhalter. I really do. He has to have two goalkeepers, obviously. Otherwise, I think he would have only taken one if he could, because I think this is a message to the goalkeeper pool. No one has grabbed the number two spot. Someone step up. You look at the, the rest of the guys behind Matt Turner. It's never been more wide open. You have uh, Ethan Horvath, who's not getting minutes. You have Drake Callender, who had a great spell for about a month and has come back to earth he's not been good over the last month you have josh cohen who still can't find a club poor poor josh uh you know i've i've been on top of that story a little bit he has been hosed by atlanta united they offered him a low ball deal but won't trade his discovery rights it's it's a real issue but he's got to find a club so he could find a way in it's so wide open right now you've got gaga slonina who could maybe snatch that spot, but is still really young. No one has stepped up. And I think this is a message from Greg Berhalter. He took 24 players last camp and 23 this time. He very well could have added a third goalkeeper. I think this is a message that says someone's got to grab this number two spot because no one has right now. Yeah, it's very interesting. And when you think about the fact that the second goalkeeper in this camp, as we just mentioned, is not even making the bench for his team at the minute. It, it, it truly is wide open. So in Matt Turner, we trust. Hopefully he doesn't get injured. 
in the near in the near future. In the fullback position, I think we've got four in camp. Anthony Robinson is not here per, for precautionary reasons. He's battling a, a hernia. Is that what Greg Berhalter said? Yeah, I think he used the term pubitis, I want to say. And then he clarified and he said it's like the early onset of a sports hernia. So okay. definitely good for him to get a rest because that if you have surgery on that, it keeps you out for about a month or two. And, and I, I want to make it clear, I think... Anthony is maybe the most underrated player by the U.S. fan base. He doesn't get the love that I think he should. He is the best fullback the U.S. national team has had since DeMarcus Beasley. And I think he will be, at the end of his career, one of the best fullbacks ever at the U.S. He is the best two-way fullback you could have possibly dreamed up. He's so good defensively. He's so good going forward, and he can put the two together really well. He has great recovery speed, uh, really good tackling precision, so you're not afraid to send him up high because he can get back when he needs to. He's really good one-on-one. It's so important to find his number two because if he's not available, you miss so, so much at that fullback spot. He's so good. I mean, he's so good, and and – I hope that he eventually gets the plaudits. You know, he's not, he doesn't ever get criticism from the U S fan base. I think they understand that he's a good player, but I don't think he ever gets the attention because he's not a big character, right? He's a quiet guy. He just goes about his business. He's not a flashy player, but man, he does everything well. Yeah. For the listener, not to discount anything you just said, but you are saying all this wearing a Fulham hat, which is where, (laughs) which is where he plays club ball. So you know, just throwing that into the ether, but it's, it's fair. And, but I'll say this watching Fulham regularly, he, I think it speaks to Anthony's quality that not only it's not only the U S national team that, that doesn't find, isn't able to find a competent back, not competent, but isn't able to find a backup at the same level or a similar level as Anthony. It's his club when he's missing, they don't have anybody behind him. Uh, mm-hmm. He's so important to how Fulham play. Uh, Marco Silva, the, the manager at Fulham, leaves Anthony on an island constantly because he can, because he knows he can handle it. It just speaks to, to his quality. They're, they have no one behind him, and, and it's a problem when he's not on the field. So with him not here, do you expect to see Serginho Dest, who can play on the left or the right? He's on the right for us. I think he's on the left right now. I th- they've moved him around, but he's been on the left, at least in the most recent games for PSV. Do you expect to see Serginho on the right and trialing people on the left? Yes, I yeah. think that's what they're, they're going to do. I think the, the idea here, Greg has said, look, we're going to give Anthony rest. He needs the rest. We know what he is. We know what he brings. We don't need to, you know, see what he's got or anything like that. I mean, it's important for these guys to get national team minutes, even the, even the first team regulars. But they've said, look, it's more important that he gets rest right now. Let this is an opportunity for us to figure out what we've got behind him because right now nobody's stepped up. It's like the goalkeeper position. Joe Scally has been good, but not great. He needs to figure he's a lot like Serginho. He can get forward. We know he can provide quality in the attack. He's got to figure out how to defend one on one. Um, I think the other guys, I think Dewan Jones has a ceiling. Um, He's a good player. I don't think he's of the quality to move abroad. Um, and I think he's a fringe player in the squad. Um, 
and they're the other guys there just haven't haven't provided enough to really snatch that backup role. So this is another opportunity for someone to maybe step up in that spot. And Chris, Christopher Lund is a, a player who maybe could provide some quality. I think we need to see more from him. You know, uh, we it's a small sample size right now, but uh, I'm I'm interested to see what he can bring. Yeah, he debuted against Uzbekistan in 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 St. Louis um, last window after making filing his one-time switch. He was raised in Denmark and was the most excited person in camp last time. I just don't know how we could ever not bring him back after how happy he was to be here in September. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see what we do trialing those Jedi backups, if you will. Um, in the center back position, Padawans, foreign... maybe you can call them. <laughs> yeah. In the center, in the center back position, we've got four in camp: Tim Ream, Cameron Carter, Vickers, who's just returning from injury. He, I think he he subbed into UCL match. I did not watch that game. He made a really bad error to concede the late goal. It was a bummer. I think he's oh, probably God. a little rusty. It's tough, but he's a good player, and I, you know, he'll he'll get past that. Okay. Yeah. I. We'll we'll pretend that didn't happen, and we'll just we'll just move forward with with him. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of his, and good to see him back. Miles Robinson is in camp, one of the two MLS guys, and Chris Richards, who is not getting much game time in the Premier League with Crystal Palace. Greg actually name checked a good number of center backs not in camp as part of I think Jonathan Tannenwald podcast regular who listeners will recognize asked a question about Mark McKenzie who did play yesterday in UEFA Conference League but is just returning from toe injury which is the reason Greg gave for him not being in in camp but Greg name-checked John Brooks, Mark McKenzie, Austin Trustee, and Walker Zimmerman as other center backs in the pool who theoretically would be good enough to bring in. What do you think about the center backs that we do have in versus those or others not named? Yeah, I think um, you've got a clear pecking order. Um, to me, the starting to the best two center backs when everybody's healthy are on the roster right now, and that's Carter Vickers and Richards. I think those are the two guys who are right now positioned to be the regular duo at the back Richards is in a tough spot I give him a ton of credit he's sticking it out good for him and he's doing really well he's not getting minutes but the way you look at Crystal Palace he has the trust of Roy Hodgson and that coaching staff they just have two really good center backs that are ahead of him Joachim Anderson former Fulham player uh, is one of the best center backs in the league and, and and I'm not, I don't feel dicey saying that. He's really good. And um, Mark Gehi next to him is also excellent. And I, th- I think I've heard rumblings that they're looking to sell him because he's also young uh, and then put Richards in his spot. But Chris has come into a couple cup games. He's come off the bench in the league. I think he came off the bench against Manchester United last time out, you know, just for a couple minutes at the end. He's worked his way in. He's just stuck behind two really good players. And he'll he'll figure it out. I, I'm not worried. I'm I'm worried about guys like Ethan Horvath. I'm not worried about Chris Richards. He's played well when he's come on and he's took taken his chances. The fan base loves him. Um, they understand the situation. And 
I think he's p- put himself in a great spot to be a regular starter for, for the U.S. And I think Carter Vickers is the other guy. What a story he is, by the way. Just come from complete U.S. national team's obscurity. It looked like he had fallen completely out of the mix and has just done well at Celtic. I mean, he's just played excellent. I, I know I mentioned he made a mistake, but like it's his first 20 minutes of the season a- after a long injury. He, he's played really well there. He's a really important part of that team. I think those are the two starting guys. Behind him, Miles Robinson's number three. And then I think you could flip-flop Tim Ream and Walker Zimmerman as the, you know, the, the number four. Both of them are, are deserving. Tim Ream is coming back to earth this year. He's struggling at Fulham. He, I think, overachieved last year. It was an awesome story. It was a great story. That whole team played above their level. And now they're coming back to earth. He's really struggling. Fulham conceded the most expected goals in the premier league last year. Burn Leno saved their hides time and time again. And uh, Reem is having a tough time. I think he is what he is. The fan base with the U S loves him. The Fulham fan base loves him. Rightly. So awesome player. Awesome guy. He's not a regular starter for the U S I think he and, and Walker could be that number four guy. I think that's, that's fair. A good rundown. In the midfield, Kyle, I think the headlining news is Gio Reyna, who is not only back in camp with Greg Berhalter for the first time since the World Cup, the two of them together, uh, but that he's in the midfield. He's listed as a midfielder. But just touching briefly on Greg and Gio, Greg kept most of the details to himself, which is understandable. He said the conversation was private. He was appreciative of the time Gio took, emphasizing a few times that it was a positive conversation. The conversation did take place over Zoom, which I was surprised by. I had thought he had gone to Germany to speak to Gio. And Greg said he understands. Let me see if I have the quote. He said, acknowledging, I think it will take time. There's a difference between a Zoom call and being in person, but I think both intentions are positive. The idea is that we work together for the team to be successful. I think we're both prepared to do that. Um, so what do you think about the state of their relationship and, and the call held over Zoom? Look, it's awkward. It's awkward. And I think people need to understand that. What happened between their families is like a nightmare, just on a personal level. I, I feel for everybody involved there. Uh, and everybody kind of caught up in that situation. It's just awkward and it's going to be awkward and, and they'll get past it. They're professionals. You don't have to like everyone you work with, right? Like that. I think everyone can relate to that. Somebody has someone at their company or their job that they don't like that you have to work with. It is what it is. Not to say that they don't like each other, but it's going to be awkward. And they're doing their best to handle it and yet give each other space. And I think that's fine. Good. They'll get, they'll get through it. What I think the U S fan base needs to understand going into this game against Germany. Geo hasn't played a minute for, for Dortmund this season. It would be great to see him start, right? Like that would be great to see him just slide right back into the starting lineup. It's possible. Berhalter said they're going to play Geo like they played Balagoon last uh, window where he hadn't played a minute for, Monaco yet and so they're trying to get him minutes and get him built up so that he can just go right back to his club and jump into a starting role and that's what they did they played Balagoon from the start from both games for 45 minutes that's not necessarily what's going to happen with Gio here he might not start and if you don't see him start against Germany please don't overreact 
please don't think that Greg is suddenly has this vendetta against, oh, this is proof that, you know, Gio's never going to play under Burhalter. No, he needs minutes, right? Like he's got to build his fitness up to 90 minutes. So they might play him from the start. They might not. We'll see. Please don't freak out. I think what was fascinating that we learned from the presser regarding Gio is that Greg was really forthcoming with where they see him positionally. Uh, he mentioned three things. He said center midfield, attacking midfield, and winger. And then he specified, he's like, with the winger, we see two different types of wingers. You've got your, like, hug the touchline uh, vertical winger, and then you've got your between the lines winger. And we see Gio as a between the lines winger. So he mentioned those three spots. I think the fan base wants to see Gio at number eight because he's done well there recently, especially in the summer. But he could play in any of those spots, and I think he'll do well. I would rather not see him on the wing. I think most fans would agree, but he can do it, and we'll see where Baralter plays him. I think they're acknowledging that he can do all three, and that's cool. So I know you have a date with the Saudi League momentarily. Do you have a few more minutes to fly through this roster, or do you have to – okay, let's keep diving through. So the other big thing, for me at least, about this midfield is who is not here, which is Tyler Adams captain the team at the world cup he has been injured since i since i believe march and he had finally reappeared after leeds was relegated he moved to bournemouth still in the premier league but returning from injury finally appeared for end of match cup minutes was it last week or the week before and then immediately revealed that he had re-injured himself it seems like it's going to be months before he's back on the field so what do you think about tyler adams lingering injury and the hole that leaves in the midfield I have to issue an apology to Tyler Adams. I have to take full credit for this. I, when he made his appearance for Bournemouth, I tweeted, I said, I know I'm tempting fate by this, but the U S it appears right now has its entire first choice roster healthy for like the first time in a long time. Cause Carter Vickers had come back and Tyler Adams had come back. I knew I was tempting fate. I did not realize that it was going to be that bad. I'm so sorry. But no, in all seriousness, it's brutal. It's brutal. I mean, he's such a... Berhalter was very clear about this in his presser. He's so important to this team on the field and off the field. And he's such a good player. I think Adams getting hurt was a top two or three reason why Leeds got relegated last year. Absolutely. Without question. I think Leeds fans would agree as well. Yeah. And that speaks to his quality. Uh, You know, he'll come back stronger. He's a young player, but this is going to linger for a while. And I really hope that it doesn't become an issue for him long term. But he's losing prime, you know, minutes in in the prime of his career. And I I feel for him. And I, I, you know, all the best to Tyler. The U.S. has the mid the midfield depth to overcome it. I don't know if Bournemouth does, but you know, I I hope for a speedy recovery. He's a good guy. He's a good player, and he's really important to that to that U.S. national team. So, uh, speedy recovery to Tyler. We'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, things you you definitely hate to see. Part of me, you know, there's a lot of talk in in MLS and in, around the world um, from the Premier League down about the number of games these guys are playing, and there's always more things being added and added, and it puts players at risk. And when I think about Tyler Adams' injury. You know, he not only was fighting for Jesse Marsh, who he has grown up with, you know, there's a very deep personal relationship there. Um, So he was fighting for the people of Leeds, fighting for Jesse Marsh and this team battling relegation, putting in so much work. 
at the club level. And then halfway through that club season, there was a World Cup wherein he went and captained the U.S. side. I think that he, alongside Eunice Musa and Weston McKenney, were a big reason why I think the U.S. ran more than any other team in the tournament, I believe. Um, and he, I think, ran the most of our players. So literally, it feels like between Jesse Marsh and Leeds and our World Cup, he he just ran himself into the ground for those two causes. And yeah, you 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 hope for the best for him, and hopefully he recovers soon. Um, elsewhere in that midfield beyond beyond Adams, we've got Eunice and McKenney in camp, presumably both shoe-ins for starting positions. And then working people in around them, there'll be Gio Reyna. And whether he starts or he subs in, he's going to be a key factor in that midfield. We've also got Leonard Maloney, who is a brand new appearance um, alongside Luca Della Torre, who is just a sturdy midfielder I think reliable we know what he can do I'm a big fan of his you wrote a great article on him and his octopus eating days in Spain and Malik Tillman yes and then we've also got Malik Tillman so as you said I think that we've got incredible depth in this midfield is there anything in particular either player wise or formation wise you are hoping to see yeah, I hope they play Yunus Moose at the six. I think he's really exciting at that spot. I don't think the attacking third is really where he excels. I think Greg Berhalter said in September that they're trying to get him more involved in the attacking third. I still have yet to see it, really. Um, I, I think his best qualities are in progression, and he can um, shield the back line. I, I really like him at the six. If if Adams is there and everybody's healthy, I think you move Musa to the eight. But I, I really like his defensive midfield capabilities in both directions because that allows Gio to play the eight and McKinney to play kind of an 8-10 hybrid. And I, I think that's the best U.S. midfield. You'll see Leonard Maloney at some point at the six. I I He's a good player. I haven't seen a ton of him, but he you talk about running your socks off. He's got the most distance covered in the Bundesliga this year. So he's another guy who just, you know, will run his face off and Peralta talked about his passion on the field. Uh, you know, he's, he's a hard on your sleeve kind of guy. So I think it's exciting to see him step in and get some time, get a look, but I really want to see a, a Musa six geo eight McKinney eight ten, and, and go from there. I think that's, that's the best U S midfield in its current construction. In the forwards, um, I think that this is a little more straightforward. We've got Timmy Weya and Christian Pulisic, who I assume will be starting. And then Brendan Aronson and Kevin Paredes, who, who's at Wolfsburg, filling in behind them. For strikers, we've got Ricardo Pepe and Fulleran Balogun. Any thoughts on on those players who you'd like to see starting, who you'd like to see rotating in? Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see more of Balogun. I think, you know, Ricardo Pepe needs minutes. He's not playing a ton for PSV, just biding his time. That PSV team is loaded. So again, kind of like, uh, we spoke about Chris Richards. He's just got to figure out a, you know, where his role is. But I, I really want to see more of Fuller and Balagoon. I think it's really his role in this national team is so fascinating. Greg Berhalter mentioned in September, fans kind of freaked out about this and, and kind of latched on as a criticism of Berhalter. I didn't see it that way. He said, we're still trying to figure out how best to use Balagoon. The way I see that, what, what he's talking about is national team management is very much Fans see it very much as like you need to adapt to the player pool because you can't go out and, you know, sign players or, or get transfers. That's definitely the case. But Greg Berhalter has a preferred style of play, and he does implement that preferred style of play on this team. That's fine to an extent, obviously. Fuller and Balagoon has a very unique skill set. And 
I think the two are just trying to come together and fit. You look at a guy like Ricardo Pepe. Ricardo Pepe isn't as good of a player as Balogun is, but he fits the Burhalter system really, really well. He's a really good presser at the forward position. He causes a ton of havoc um, and, and does really well to unsettle opposing defenses. That's exactly what Burhalter wants from his forwards. I think you just need to see Balogun kind of learn how to press under Greg Burhalter, and then you need to see Greg Burhalter learn how to get Balogun into the attack more when the U.S. has the ball. Those are the two. It's like the marriage between the two that you just kind of have to see come together. The only way that that's going to happen is game time and timing camp. And so I'm really interested to see more of Balogun on the pitch for the U.S. because I think once those two philosophies come together and styles come together, he is going to light it up. He's an excellent player, and I think you'll see him start to score loads of goals once the two of them really kind of figure out each other. My last thoughts and question for you, Kyle. So we're playing Germany in Connecticut, and then we're playing Ghana in Tennessee in many ways this feels like the starting point for this cycle. These are two quality opponents. No disrespect to Oman and Uzbekistan, but this is going to be a challenge. We're going to learn things here, I think, about where we're at. And it's the second window that Greg Berhalter is actually um, in charge of the team as we look toward the Copa America next summer and then even the World Cup beyond it. So this feels like the starting point for a lot of things. Germany and Ghana are, are very strong teams, but both a little bit in flux. What are your expectations for these games and what are you hoping to see in terms of results? Uh, what I'm hoping to see in terms of results are results, to be honest with you. I think for the most part in friendlies, the results are not the most important thing. I think in this window, they are. You've got almost your best first choice squad. You've got two opponents who you really want to measure yourself against. Two opponents who are high quality but have vulnerabilities. And I want to see the U.S. get results. I honestly think these two games, this is rare for friendlies because I always try to harp on the fact that in friendlies, especially the performance matters more than the result. I think in these two games, the result matters more than the performance. I want to see how well the U.S. can get a result, a win, a draw, whatever, against Germany and Ghana, regardless of how it happens. I think that's where this team can measure itself right now heading into the Copa America because you want to be able to get results against high-quality opponents like Argentina and Brazil in that Copa America and, and even further down like Chile, like uh, Ecuador. Difficult teams that are going to make life hard. Uh, soccer players always talk about suffering, right? We want to suffer for the result. I want to see the U.S. suffer for a result in these games because if that happens, they are well-positioned for the Copa America. If that doesn't happen, there's work to be done. I think that's where they'll judge this window, which is rare for a window against friendlies. Love it. Kyle, where can people keep up with your work, follow your your coverage of this team and, and well beyond into the world of football? Yeah, thanks. Uh, you can find me at the underscore bonfire. That's uh, bonfire with two N's uh, on Twitter or X or whatever it is and Instagram. Uh, so please do jump on there. You can find us all our work at uh, sportingnews.com. Uh, and then the best way to help us out is to share. I know uh, Meg would appreciate that too. Share it because pods uh, live on word of mouth. So uh, 
please uh, share if you enjoyed this episode, but uh, also anything that you come across sporting news wise, whether it be on a Google search or on social media, please, uh, if you enjoy the content, give it a share. That's uh, that's the biggest compliment you can give us. So thank you. Thank you. And I will link to where you can find Kyle in the post on my Substack. and enjoy your weekend, everybody go Phillies.